G'day everyone, and welcome to A Place to Call Home podcast. On today's episode, I chat to Joe Atard from Note Park Grazing. Now, Joe has a great story, and we touch on a range of different topics. We touch a bit on succession and the transition in his family. We touch a bit on him going from cane to cattle. And then we also follow his journey with his pay to plate business and also now his event hiring and event facilities that he holds at Note Park now. Now, I must do a bit of a warning that the audio quality on this wasn't good in some places. Um, Joe ducked in and out of reception, so I do apologize. But um, please, if you enjoy this episode, please share it. Uh, share it with friends, share it with family, get the word out there. I'm trying my very best to do a good job on these episodes. So if you do appreciate it, let me know, give me feedback or what you want to hear more of. And um, yeah, thank you very much for listening. And lastly, before we do jump into the episode, I want to say a big thank you to this week's sponsor, which is Roger Hill. Um, Like I've said before, Roger's been involved since the very start of me kicking off this podcast, and I greatly appreciate all the support that he's done to help me get this far. If you are interested in agriculture in North Queensland, then Roger is your man to talk to. So be sure to give him a call and pick his brain. Anyway, enjoy the episode. Cheers. Joe, thank you very much for jumping on board the Place to Call Home podcast. appreciate you giving up a, a bit of your time and chatting to us today. Mate, before we get too far ahead, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Where do you live? Um, what do you do for a living? And throw on some dad stats if you've got some. Um, yeah, well, I live at a little place called Eaton. It's only 30 k's west of Mackay. I went to school there as well, so I've been here in this area my whole life. Um, yeah, it's a little country town and obviously went to a high school up Moreni. Um, yeah, a few k's up the road. But I went to grade 10. Um, yeah, then straight on the farm after that. Um, well, I'm one, one of seven. I've got four brothers and two sisters. Um, so, yeah, she's pretty full-on household growing up. And, um, yeah, like I said, mum and dad were both um, Maltese background. Um, their parents come over years ago on a boat and they always farm sugarcane over Bali, another area not far from Mackay. And then, yeah, they end up buying a farm out here, that my dad's dad. And, yeah, there was a few brothers involved back then. And then, yeah, partnerships and family, yeah, so they all split up over the years. And, yeah, I'm back. I'm on the home farm now where we all grew up. So, Joe, you're, you're on Note Park, is it? that you? That's where you That's where you live? Yeah, mate. Yeah, well, I started Note Park. So, like you say, go back. Um, I've been here 10 years myself now since I bought this part of the farm off my parents. They've retired now. My brother, one of my other brothers, bought some as well down further. And, yeah, it was never called Note Park. I said, oh, I'm going to start this business. I need to have a name, you know, so yeah. get a bit of branding happening. and. Everyone said, where'd you get the name from? Note Park. And then, so what it is, is um, Eaton spelled backwards. That's how I got note. And, uh, <laughs> and I said, I, I said it to myself for months and months, note, note, park, note. And then eventually it grew on me. And then, yeah, so everyone goes, well, how'd you get the name? So at least I got a reason why now how I got the name. <laughs> so, Joe, and, you you grew up on the land there on your fam- on your family's property. Did you guys... And you said, like, a, as a big family, there was lots of 
I suppose, family around. And you said your dad also had his brother working on, or, or they split up the original family? Plot. Yeah. How'd mate, that well, go? Well, back in the day, like I said, there was a few brothers. And like I said, leaving, growing up after school, there was about three, three dad's brothers. They were all partners. And we probably had nearly, back then, probably only just under a 1,000 acres. But I had sugar cane and cattle. Um, and they used to, they had a cattle property out west as well. Um, 20,000 acres out there and used to share farm sorghum and that out there, Clamlin as well. So growing up as a kid, you always run around between cane and cattle, um, travelling out west and doing all that sort of stuff. And then because Dad was, he's um had all the kids. <laughs> and so, yeah, then they obviously they had to eventually, they all split up and then, yeah, they worked it all out because it was all certain deeds, you know, the farm. So Dad got the biggest side of things because obviously he had, more kids, more family to support. And, yeah, then, oh, they still get on. But, yeah, just just a lot of family partnerships end up splitting up eventually. So when did the love for the bush and agriculture start for you? Was it very early on or a bit later? Yeah, mate. Well, growing up, like I said, after school, you used to get in trouble because you go straight out to dirt with your school clothes. And um, mum goes, you got to go get changed first, you know, because you're dirty in your clothes. But And you go and jump <laughs> on a tractor or do something. but. You know, I always used to, I remember, used to get the bird seed and used to go and plant sorghum and go through and sift it all out, put the sunflowers, the sorghum and the corn, and you grow your own little crops. Um, yeah. And you get your little Tonka toys and all that back in the day. But, so growing up as a kid, as I said, one or seven, we all, we had, um, but we had ducks, turkeys, geese, bloody pigs, you know, we used to process all our own stuff, you know, and that veggie garden. So that was all the kids' jobs feed all the animals and grow the veggies. So we always done that, you know, growing up. And then, and I've worked for other people as well, you know, like as I got older on, on cane and cattle and stuff like that as well. So touching on a bit of as you got older, what did you do once you leave school? What was life like? Well, pretty much um, out of all of us, like the other brothers, some of them, they got apprenticeships and that, but um, I come straight on the farm because the old man needed a hand. And so, yeah, I was full on doing schoolwork and we were planting and cutting their own cane then too. Um, so, yeah, I did that for um, it was probably 10 years. And then in the off-season, because um, things were a bit tough back then, the old male couldn't afford to keep paying me, and, you know, out of the season. So I used to go away out west and work for other people on broad acre farming out near Capella out that way. And that was good. I liked it, pulling you know, big gear and all GPS stuff. Um and then, yes, come back and do the cane season, you know, for six months and then go back out there again. And did that on and off for 10 years as well. So, yeah, so you get to see, meet people in different, you know, different industries as well out there. And when did this journey, I suppose, towards land ownership begin for you? Did you, you went away and you were doing a bit of contract work and everything like that? Um, were you also doing a bit of investing on the side, whether that real estate investing or share investing or maybe some other form? No, mate, I wasn't. It was mainly just um, like whatever money you saved away, you know, yourself. Um, I didn't have any other investments pretty much back then. I just had a car and I was renting the, renting the house with a mate. Um, yeah, probably drunk too much beer back in the day. Um, probably would have saved <laughs> have a bit more in the bank. But um, that's life. Put it down to experience, I suppose. Um, but, but, yeah, talking about um, back at well, it would have been 2005, I suppose, when I went, my, my father and I, we um, took over my uncle's harvesting contract 
sugarcane harvesting. So we were cutting oh, probably a 70, 80,000 tonne then back then and back in 05, that's when we started. Um, looking, the closest coal mines, you know, only probably a bit over an hour away from here. And to compete, we're having trouble getting workers because you can't pay someone 45, 50 bucks an hour to sit in a tractor. And um, yeah. so that was a big struggle trying to get decent workers. Um, four years in a row, I had haul out operators, like you give them $300,000 bits of gear, and then it's tipped over us overhead. And like, and I just thought, I can't keep doing this. Insurance companies didn't want to insure us because it was every year you're making a claim. And I thought, someone's going to get killed here eventually. And then so we, we end up, I end up getting out of it. Um, so I only did four years of that, and then, yeah, and then I went back working for um just another big harvesting contract up the road. I was back in the cane harvester again, operating, cutting hundred thousand ton for another fella for eight years up the road here. What was that? Was that starting the steps towards uh buying your family's property there, like buying Note Park? Well, how'd that? Yeah, come well, yeah, well, same thing. Like the old fella, you know, they'll get. Mum and dad, or they'll get in their seventies, you know, back then, and then we were sort of, sort of, you know, looking to stay working for someone for the rest of your life, you know, it'd be good to have something of your own, and yeah, it wasn't easy because said being one of seven, obviously, there's a bit of bit of tension there with all the other brothers and sisters. Um, a few arguments went on. Um, not going to lie there, because then, then I was the only one on the farm, so. It didn't make any difference when it come down to the crunch. I didn't have no more say than anyone else. And you think, we worked here for the last, you know, 12, 13 years. And um, anyway, well, it turned out all right at the end. But, yeah, don't worry. There was a fair bit of conflict going on there for a bit. Did you bring in someone for those succession discussions as such or an outside mediator? No, mate. No, we just, well, mate, just done a few family meetings and stuff like it took a few few meetings to get it all nutted out, and um, and then obviously trips to the bank and trying to, yeah, sort all that sort of yeah finance and all that available as well. It's always an interesting one having like pretty all, we're pretty all in the middle of doing all that uh, succession and all the rest of it. Got a bit of an idea where it's going, but it's um, I don't think anyone ever really talks about the amount of tension that it creates in a family. Um, it's probably a side note. People always love to hear or talk about the good stories. But I think I read a figure somewhere that only like 13% of family farms actually successfully transition to the next generation. Like, and it's incredible because the amount of tension it creates of such a large asset and so many different personalities, it's um, it's um, it's just incredible for those ones that have been able to continue because there's so many that don't because of that pressure. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I can definitely vouch for that. Um. And like I said, being a big family probably makes it harder. You know, you haven't got yeah. one or two to get with him. You got, yeah, you got a few of them. Um, yeah. Anyway, but I said in the end it turned out right. I only only got a couple hundred acres here, but my brother got more, but he didn't have a house. So, yeah, that sort of makes up for a bit of difference, you know. Yeah. And my other my other brothers and sisters, sort of, they already had their own businesses and stuff like that too. So. Yeah, that sort of worked out in the end. And like I said, we all get on, so we all talk. So that's a bonus, I suppose. That is, so you can still have family Christmases, which is the most important thing, I reckon. Yeah, mate, yeah. Family. So eventually, like coming up from the family split, you ended up with a portion of, of the property and, and um, obviously did you do a like, bit of transfer of asset and transfer of debt that went on or was it kind of how did that work? Yeah, mate. So we obviously 
had an agreement with the parents and all that sort of stuff. So, like, yeah, so they had no debt, you know what I mean? Um, and then, yeah, we had to go to the bank and borrow money. Um, well, you know, so, yeah. And, like, we had to obviously do a bloody cash flow for the bank. And first first time, because like, I already had my own bank, um, I went to them and they didn't want to look at me. Um, and then so we went to where Dad was already banking and because obviously they know the history of the farm and then, yeah, yeah. they come forward there and this made life a bit easier. And then obviously, yeah, a bit of deposit, what I had saved up from, you know, just working outside other jobs. Um, yeah, no, so actually coming up 10 years now, um, yeah, got to refinance actually coming up soon. <laughs> but anyway, that's life. Yeah. Um, Joe, thanks for sharing that because I think it's it's something, like I said, it's not not talked about enough. And it's interesting how different people work out and how their journey on towards land happens. So thank you very much for sharing that. And, and touching on that, what was, so at, at the end, when you finally got the, I suppose, the place in your name, what was the operation that you were running at the time when you first started uh, running there? Yeah, well, so there was 100 acres of um, sugarcane and about another 100 of cattle country up on the hills, you know, where you, you couldn't farm. Yeah. Um, so I, I stayed because obviously on 100 acres, you can only grow a bit over 3,000 tonne of cane, um, and that was not enough to live off. So I used to work outside as well and do the cane on your days off, so pretty much seven days a week. That's just farming life, you know. But yeah. So I was working not far up the road for a big harvesting contractor, so it was easy. I was home every day, um, and sometimes you have to turn the lights on the trap and go do stuff at night time and just yeah. get stuff done. Um, and because I got irrigation as well, so... I put a centre pivot in um, in the first year I was here. Um, so that makes life a bit easier. Um, so fully irrigation. So, yeah, that's one way to keep your production up, you know, with grass and stuff like that. So I stayed farming the cane for another, I think, five years and I said it was still working away at the time. And then, and like I said, it's still had the cattle as well. And then I made a decision, like, it took a, took a bit to say, well, I'm going to be my own boss, you know, like yeah. can't keep working for everyone for the rest of my life. And then sort of how am I going to do this? And then I decided, yeah, to go down full beef production side of things. Um, and like, to do that, I had to give up my full-time job because I couldn't do both. And it's a big gamble when you're on 80,000 a year working outside and then yeah. then you say, well, shit, is this going to work? Am I going to, you know, are people going to buy your beef? And like, it was a big gamble. I said, well, only one way I could find out. So I just have to bite the bullet and do it. And changing over from cane to grass, like planting, it wasn't a – doesn't happen overnight. And obviously I didn't do the whole farm one go. So I did it over four years because yep. obviously sugar cane will grow it out till its life cycle, till it's older, and then get rid of it. Um, and, yeah, then obviously working out what – type of grass like you have to plant your pasture to suit your country you know in the climate and then same thing with your cattle breed as well you know you got to breed cattle that can handle the climate around here um yeah so it was full on and like I said and splitting all the paddocks up to make it easy management like when you don't have a plan in place so right oh well because there's no fences where sugar cane is you got to work out how you're going to do it because i do rotational grazing so i got all little paddocks so cattle get shifted every few days um, and then you obviously got to have water in every paddock. The infrastructure costs, uh, 
probably up to around 300,000. Um, yep. Just with fences and water. Um, yeah, it just, everyone goes, oh, it's easy. I said, yeah, but you just got to, you got to, you got to find the money to do it. And that's why I did it over a few years, you know, like working it all out. And I got it pretty easy now. Like I can, I can run it by myself. So easy, you know, like the cows know time to shift. You just drive the gate and they're there waiting for you. Just open the gate and they walk to the next paddock. Um, so, yeah, so that deci- so that decision for going from the cane to the cattle, wh- why was that again? Can you delve in a bit there? Was it just because the margins were better with the cattle well, at the time? Well, not no, not even really. It was just um, oh, to be honest, you get got the shits with the cane. Um, well, because with with sugar mills, right? For example, it takes twelve months to grow a crop, and there's no yep. guarantee you can get it harvested because. Even last year, a lot of farmers I know, they left cane in the paddock. Um, year before, left cane in the paddock. Um, and so you don't get paid for that crop that you just spent 12 months growing and put all your cost in. And like, and you're always dealing with the weather, obviously. But different, like you brought acre farmers, right? Well, they um, they dictate when they're going to harvest or when they're going to sell. They just work with the weather. But with sugar, it's totally different. you got a certain window. They tell you when you've got to start harvesting and they tell you when you're finished. And then with that, um, if it rains and then you bog your paddocks up, the cane doesn't grow, you just wrecks the soil, you know, pack shit out of it. Um, so, yeah, that's another reason I just sort of had enough, you know, like because you're not your own boss. You've got, you yeah. grow your cane, but then when it comes to harvest time, they dictate, like, obviously how much you get paid mm-hmm. and then, yeah, when to harvest and, yeah. So, yeah, mate, that was another another reason and, so with cattle, you're your own boss. If you sell at a low price, well, that's your fault. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can't always dictate the price either with cattle. But if it rains, as long as you can get them in the yard and get them on the truck, you know, like you can you can sell them all year round. You're not – yeah, so that was another reason why I made the decision there. And initially with the cattle, you were doing it very conventional, like you were just selling them to the market, selling them to meatworks initially? Originally when I first started, that's right, either, either abattoirs or um, – the local cattle sales yeah just you know as wieners or you might grow some out you know but that's what i was doing first yeah so where did you start evolving from that and correct me if i'm wrong did you do the paddock to like plate type stuff first before you started doing your events or, or what kind of came first in that with note park yeah mate. so so with the with the beef sort of things well i said when i started transitioning into that well i said well i've got to get this product out to the public so I went board display mobile cold room like had glass windows and that on so i did all the markets around with kyle's i was on the road five days a week um yeah you know getting your product out there early mornings going to markets and and then yeah and don't worry it wasn't easy after people ask you well why is your beef better than theirs and so it's grass-fed hormone free you know all that sustainable farming sort of practices and you have to try and yeah and then i was doing um tours and lunches then too like so inviting people out to the property so they can see firsthand what goes on you know um take them up to the yards and talk about the cattle control mate with the bulls and you know all that the breed program um got soil tests done regularly you know i've got moisture probes in the ground so you know you know when to start irrigating and the pasture gets sent away for samples you know to see what protein's in it um and some people don't realize they just expect see the meat come straight off the shelf you know um yep. so that's where it all come about and 
a few people have brought their kids out. Um, this is when I was doing lunches. I remember this pretty clearly. Um, kids are up there feeding cows. You know, we'll have a bale of hay up there. Come back. I used to have a chef here. Um, cook a bit of a barbie, you know, sausage sizzle. And I remember one kid, oh, mum was saying, oh, talking to the kid, oh, yeah, that sausage come from them cows. And then the kids stopped eating. That's it. No more sausages. <laughs> and I say worked out where it come from. They, But, yeah, but anyway, but that, you're going to get that, I suppose, but that's just kids. But, yeah, just um, a lot of people understand, you know, like that's what I was trying to educate kids, you know, like get them out of town to come and see actually what goes on on the property. This episode of A Place to Call Home podcast is brought to you by Roger Hill, who is a rural and regional property value based in north and northwest Queensland. Roger is incredibly passionate about the Australian people, the bush, and keeping the next generation coming through. So be sure to get in touch. You can contact him on 0418200046. Thanks, Roger. You're a legend. I think it's something I'm really interested in, and I, I'm going to take you back a little bit, a couple of steps. So that initial transition from doing it like the conventional, I'm just going to say the same way that usually every other grazier does it to doing marketing your own beef and starting the going to markets. What was that like and how did that, can you dig in a little bit more on that and what you were doing around there? Was it a slow transition or did you start doing some samples first off, like killing a couple of beefs before you transitioned or? Well, um, yeah. Well, yeah, well, um, obviously when I first started doing it because um, I thought, like I used to always, always used to uh, every time I did a body because I was doing up, you know, two a week. Um, I used to grab a pack of rib fillet, race home, cook it myself, and I said just to make sure that it's going to be nice before I start selling it. And then I said well, I can't keep doing this. So I just so then in the end I was just yeah just selling it, and then it's all good feedback from there, you know. But yeah, it wasn't like you said it's a big gamble. Like you get there, and then people say, "Oh, why well, is your meat?" Because obviously my like prices are a lot more expensive than Woolies and Coles and stuff like that. And then so that's too dear. Like people have a look at your prices and then walk away, you know. But I did my figures because I know because obviously doing what I was doing, you couldn't just get a mobile abattoir out to your property. So I had to yeah. take it to a licensed abattoir, run probably 70 k's up the road to get it all done certified. And they used to cry back it and label it, pack it for me. Um, so I used to take the bodies up there live and then I tell them how I want it packed and all that. Then I used to go pick it up a week later, you know, just to hang the body for a week. Um, and then, yeah, going around markets, and like you said, you're trying to market your product, like I said, Facebook, Instagram, and, and websites and stuff like that, you know, you're just trying to get your stuff out there. And that's when I started doing with Paddock to Plate dinners, see, like trying to educate people about the beef side of things, get them out here, 100 people at a time, take them up the paddock for a walk and talk about, the whole process, what I do here, um, then come back and have four course dinners and that, you know, and yeah, and then I used to have my trailer on display that night, so people used to buy the product and take it home, you know, like yeah. So that was um, there was full on. I used to have live music and do all that, you know. It was full, yeah. So it was put an event and even on. Now, hey, sorry. So you used to put like a proper event on, like not just yeah, bring mate, them yeah, out like and put was... a barbecue. It'd be a full on full course yeah, well, with entertainment and. But when I first started, um, 
because I used to get caterers in, right? Um, and I've been through a few until I found the right one because I want everything to be perfect. Um, and some of the quality wasn't up to my standard. So, but then, so I had to tell the truth. The first couple, um, I had a couple, well, yeah, bad feedback on a couple meals, but, um, and I wasn't happy either because I knew myself straight away. I said, it's not good enough. And, um, it's yeah. too late. You know, once it's out there. So then, it took a while then, you know, obviously a few people might have got burnt until till I finally got a good one now. Um and yeah, mate, the last dinner they're selling out. But because I'm doing now oh, what are we roughly I think two hundred and thirty bucks a ticket for a four course dinner, beer, wine and spirits and live music and a farm tour. And the last one sold out in four hours. Um <laughs> so, so there's the bloody um I don't know what happened there. Um, You're right. Yeah. So, so there's um, you know, so I've got a bit of a name, I suppose now, but only yeah. do, only do two a year because I'm flat out busy with all the other functions in between. So I did one in April and one in December. Next one's booked in for the second of December now. And I won't advertise for November now, but so I get a bloke down um, Bears Barbecue. I don't know if you heard of him, but he's got a barbecue team, the big smokers, and he's number three in Australia. And um, so he. He cooks here. He he does a lot of weddings here as well. Um, so he's what I use. He smokes all the meats. Um, and my mum and sister and ten other staff that I employ do all the all the sides to go with the um, beef and that. So yeah, even now I transitioned not to just beef. Um, mixing up a bit, do beef, pork, and chicken and dessert. Yeah. So we got a bit of a mixture going on there. And yeah, it's been going. It's a big hit. It's been going good. And every time we do it, we tweak the menu a little bit because. I get a lot of repeat customers. Yeah, you know, they booked the table for twenty. I went to the next one. They just want to book straight away again. So it's good in a way, but um, obviously, always new, new people always good to come along as well. So, Joe, there's so much to unpack in that. It's got me so many questions. But I think initially, what um, what is your main like customers that are coming there? Are they locals? Are they tourists? Does it you kind of work with the tourist season a bit? Or are you just like banking on the locals coming out from Mackay it's, and stuff like that? It's a bit of both, mate. I've had people from all different countries. Um, well, obviously, because they just happen to be in the area at the time, you know. Um, and yeah, they say that this is some of the best food we've had. Like, we've traveled all around the world. And so that's good feedback to have that. Um, they reckon like it's top restaurant quality. Um, so most of them are just out of Mackay. Um, you get a few that might travel up from down south a little bit but mm-hmm. most of them just because i'm only 30 k's from mckay so most of them is most of them are from mckay that travel out you know and obviously it's only adults only i don't do it yeah it's just a night out for the you know for kid free night and so the adults can let loose a bit and some of it's pretty funny some of them do let the hair down sometimes it's pretty <laughs> funny, get a bit so, loose but anyway it's all good i don't mind to be himself so bit of socialising going on. And it's all, you know, PR work because, you know, people come yeah. up to you and ask about because venue hire like as well. So that's – they come to a dinner. There's people that are thinking of getting married, so they'll come to a dinner and then they see it at night time all dressed up and then they'll, they'll book for a wedding, you know what I mean? So that's another reason I do it because, tell you the truth, there's not a, not a lot of profit in the dinners. Um, it's just mainly advertising you your property and your venue. That's a lot of yeah. reason, other reason I do it as well. So 
with that, have you had to do much infrastructure work to the property to accommodate these events? And touching on that that wedding hire, which we're going to touch on next, but initially, have you had to do much infrastructure work to the property? Yeah, mate. I reckon. Oh, touching before I spent you know like three hundred thousand or more. That that's probably some of that was infrastructure cost too, because um, like had to build a toilet block and septic and yeah. all that in you know as well. Um, and now I've got a big undercover to rear. Um, area 360 square meters under roof um before i didn't have that when i first started i just had shade sales and stuff like that and i knew it wasn't good enough you know but obviously it's got to start somewhere um because the weather up here pretty unpredictable you know so when you get a shower or rain now or something i got under covered area so it's in pretty much no weather venue you know so i had to spend money there obviously setting it all up and yeah concrete everything Cost money. There's always room for improvement. I'd like to do more extensions, but obviously, the cost. You know, like everything's going up these days. And going forward, you've gone from paddock to plate to these events where you're hosting dinners, and now you're actually doing weddings as well out there. Is that a big part of your business now? The wedding function hire. Yeah, mate. Well, this year, twenty three was probably well. The end of November will be my biggest. Biggest year for weddings, I think, be um, getting close to forty weddings, um, and it's full on. Some of them, some of people are hard work. Um, not going to lie there, um, especially when you get a hundred people, one hundred fifty people here. When especially when they get a few drinks into them, some you get a few <laughs> smart asses, you know. Like um, I'm pretty lenient, you know, but because you can get a, you know, being on a property is a bit different to being in a function room, right? For example, um. You got it to yourself, but some people take it too far, you know. Like, like just some people got no respect, um, yeah. you know. Like, just yeah, just being grubs. But um, so yeah, I have a security guard on um, every function I have as well, and I'm here on the night, you know, just keep an eye on things. But most of my wedding bookings are weddings, but there is a few people use Christmas parties. Like towards the end of the year, they might book it out for their Christmas party. Um, so yeah. I've done corporate events, had surgeons from all over, um, doctors last year from all around the world here, um, America, Japan, they were all here for a big conference, so they yeah. booked it out for that, so that was pretty good. And now um, I just got oh, in talks with Mackay Tourism about um, like, like landing jet ranches, helicopters and that out in front of you, um, doing a bit of a tour, I'll pick them up in town, you know, go out over the islands and then land here for lunch, you know, and like, just do cheese and wine platters and then here for four hours get back on the plane and go again you know but on a helicopter so when the process of sorting that out in between so that sort of stuff we can do during the week as well you know just the weekdays so but yeah working with Mackay Tourism about yeah just sorting some of that stuff out at the moment but Joe just looking at a bit of a timeline how how long has it gone from just being I suppose transitioning from the cane to full cattle and then just from the cattle to doing the box beef and the, and and what you're up to now with all these events. How long has it taken you to get to this? Top Pretty period? much, oh, it'll be five years, mate. Yeah. Yep. So it's happened, I suppose, reasonably quick. I suppose, like, and like the first few years, obviously, I wasn't yeah you know, getting a few bookings until Ted like last year and this year have been my biggest years. And then now we've got there's people already got twenty twenty five bookings coming through now. Um, so that's. You know, still a couple of years down the track, but people book in early because they want a certain date. And then if they want their certain vendors, 
So when people book my venue, they I leave it up to them what caterers they want to get so they get their own choice because um, that many different styles of food out there. So I just yep. leave all that up for them. So I think they like that flexibility there. Um, and with the drinks um, side of things too, I don't sell drinks. Um, so whoever hires the venue, they bring all their own drinks for the guests. So it works out cheaper for them there too. And what they don't yeah. drink, they take home. So I think that's a bit of a selling point there as well. And I think only a lot of people like they can dress it up, you know, how they want, you know, and they get all different decorators in. Yeah, so I think it seems to be working. And obviously every every one I have, you always – there's never one the same, so you always fine-tune. And, yeah, obviously, and then I've got contracts, got to have drawn up, you yeah. know, terms and conditions. they got to sign it for all the hire agreement side of things. So you, they can't come back on you with anything, you know. Yeah. and. Joe, what's been some of the challenges that you faced while going down this road of box beef and and event hire for so yeah? Um, I've had a few issues with um with cancel, mate. They've pretty been hard to deal with from the start. You know, with yeah, like they want all this in the area, but uh, they just don't make it easy. You know what I mean? Like it just oh, you're trying to do everything right, but yeah, that was one of the biggest things, and then. Or just dealing with the public, I know I was touched on that before. They they can be uh pe- few people did warn me at the start. They go, um, you know what you're getting yourself into here is when you start mentioning weddings. Um said, Yeah, yeah, I'll be right, don't worry about it. Um and then yeah, but you just get to deal with it, you know, look, like you get to learn and and yeah, deal with the public. And that was because obviously I never I never had to do that before, you know, always working for people, but when you're dealing with the public, general public like that, customer service, it's yeah, it's it's, it's a whole different thing. Had to update my people skills a little bit. <laughs> try not to <laughs> try not to swear at them, <laughs> you know. But yeah, but anyway, but yeah, no, I think said I think I think it all works working out pretty good. So for someone, so a young person looking to do this on their property, what would be some things you'd I suppose for them to be aware of if they're going to go down this path or thinking about going down this well, path? Well, pretty much um, make sure that you've got everything in place. Like I said, have a bit of a plan from the start. Um, like, yeah, like, you know, exactly what you want to do. Like, look, don't just look like the year down, look further, you know, like five, ten years down the track. So you got a bit of a plan in place. And, and one other thing I found too is, um, might sound a bit funny, but don't tell everyone your ideas because there's people out there that steal them. <laughs> like, yeah, I've had people come here, um, like this is early in the piece, and then they go home. I said, Oh, yeah, we're thinking of doing the same thing, you know. They they come and check you out first before they go and do their own thing. I said, Oh, yeah, is that right? But anyway, but you can't stop that. Um, so you just got to try and be better. That's all you can do. Yeah, I think, um, I think it plays into people's personalities too. Like certain people uh, can do this to this event planning or box beef or everything. Like you know, it takes a certain personality and and a bro- and a certain brain to be able to do these things. Not everyone will. So it's not like everyone who listens to this podcast or you know sees what you do go out and see no park are going to automatically start doing event hire. But I think it's a way for young people to realize the opportunities there are. That that they can actually become full time producers 
and you know there's ways this diversification can help them get there and get off a job and you know like you've well, done that, become a full-time yeah well that's right sam well that's another reason why um same thing with the cattle like even even full grass production and selling the beef it was still still not enough income to um not enough turnover to pay all the bills you know what i mean so that's another reason i branched into this event hire as well is venue hire because well, value added just need that other bit of extra income you know to help help things along because the banks want their money every month and uh <laughs> and then you always got your ongoing costs yeah running costs for the property and stuff like that too so but now without um without this event all that sort of left yeah there's the cattle just not enough you know any prices come back a fair bit compared to last year so on the cattle so that makes it a bit harder again yeah so joe what does the next uh, couple of years look for you? The next five, ten years. What's your, what's your goal with Note Park and where you're heading? Well, eventually, um, oh, if I get busy enough, big enough, I might have to put a manager on. I think of <laughs> let let them deal with some of the, some of the bloody people. Um, but oh, I don't know. Ten years time, mate. Um, like to start slowing up a bit. I think and I like to do a bit of travelling. I want to go and do a bit, but. Like just mount inland, I'm not going to go too far, but just um get around and see a bit. But yeah, because I don't have any kids, mate, so um no misses nothing like that, so it's pretty good. I can do what I want, but you can't leave the property either because there's still stuff to be done here. But I've got heaps of nieces and nephews coming along, so um they seem they're all pretty keen farmers. So hopefully down the track, you know, like they might be keen to take something on here. But yeah, ten years time. So yeah, yeah. Hopefully, I might be retired by then, or just tired. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see what happens, mate. Ten years. Uh, anything can happen between now and then. It's it's not a it's not an easy like it's. A, I love I love agriculture. I love this life on the land, but it's it's not easy. And it's not an easy one at times. I think I went to sadly I went to a funeral the other day. And I made a comment to one of my friends. I was like, you know, I said, you can just see how hard it is life on the land. When at the funeral, you have all these busted old cowboys and and producers and stuff coming past, and none of them walk straight, bent legs, broken yeah. bodies. Yeah, like you know, you can. It's it's not an easy life, but it's a good life. But yeah. Oh no, you're right, and like because obviously, what ninety percent of the time we're in the sun, and um, that's the biggest thing too. Now I've noticed even myself always. Well, if you're not in a cab factor or something, you're, you know, you're outside and a few sunspots starting to come out too. So that's another thing, you know, farmers, you're always out in the elements. Um, and yeah, it's, it's not easy on your body. Um, and well, obviously, yeah, you, you like your son before, you see all them older fellows. Um, you wear a big hat or not, but you still get burnt from the sides. Um, and that does happen all the time. Even I know operating cane houses for years, um, even in a cab. In a cab with tinted windows, you still used to get burnt through the when the sun's going down in the afternoon, it comes straight through the side and you you can't get away from it. That's just yeah, that's just life. It is. Um, Joe, lastly, what would be the one piece of advice you wish you had at the start of your journey? Um, probably um like just believe in yourself. Um never give up. And yeah, just always keep looking forward um to be bigger and better um it's it might sound easy to say but it's um it, yeah it can be hard but 
yeah, that's one of the big things, mate. I mean, yeah, just got to, yeah, have faith in yourself. Like you said, if you've got an idea or a passion for something, stick to it and, yeah, and give it 100% or even better, you know. Just, it's about all you can do. Yep. Um, Joe, thank you very much for jumping on board. Um, it's been a really interesting chat, and, I, and there's a lot I've got out of this so far. So, thank you. Yeah, no worries, Sam. Um, yeah, it's good to chat to you too, mate. Cheers, mate. Hey, um, and also, just lastly, what what's the best way people can get in contact with you if they do want to have a wedding and they live in the Mackay area? Yeah, well, I've got a Facebook page, Night Park Grays and Co. Like, jump on there, and there's a link that'll take you to the website as well, or the phone number there, and there's there's wedding, there's brochure, venue brochures and stuff on the website. Um, there's pictures on there as well, or Instagram. So there's plenty of platforms um, to get in contact with me. And if they want to arrange a viewing, just give us a ring and a time. And you can come out for a look and we'll show you around. So easy. Thank you very much, Joe. I'll chat to you soon. Yeah, no worries, Sam. I hope you enjoyed this episode of A Place to Call Home podcast. And if you did, I would greatly appreciate it if you could share it with friends and family, throw us a rating and give us a follow. It's the best thing that you can do to support the podcast. Now, for the quote of the day, I give you one from Jen Cicero and it says, if you are serious about changing your life, you'll find a way. If not, you'll find an excuse. Cheers. Cheers.